genre. Hey everyone, you might be wondering what that sound is that you just heard. Well, as of this season, Ideal Remake has joined the Dueling Genre Podcast Network. What does that mean for you? Well, mostly nothing. It just means that at the beginning of every episode, we'll hear that dueling genre, punch, 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 punch sound, (laughs) which is fun. And other than that, I might talk sometimes about dueling genre shows, and I'll probably be having on guests from other dueling genre podcasts. And I will continue to create amazing Ideal Remake episodes for you. If you want to know more about why I was interested in joining Dueling Genre, you can always go to DuelingGenre.com and check out their whole list of podcasts. It's an amazing selection, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. But what that means is slightly new intro, a new podcast logo, but the same great content and the same great show that you've come to expect from the last three seasons. So thank you for continuing to listen to Ideal Remake. We're only going to be doing newer, better, and more fun things going forward. Season 4 is going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to bring it all to you. And now, Season 4, Episode 2, Fedora. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're remaking Billy Wilder's movie Fedora. Yes, Billy Wilder, who once said, Hollywood didn't kill Marilyn Monroe, it's the Marilyn Monroes who are killing Hollywood. So with that gem of a bad take out of the way, let me introduce today's guest, (laughs) Jenna Redding. Jenna, is Fedora a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I think that it should be remade. It has not been remade yet, um, but hopefully one day it is. So before we get too far into this, can you tell me why you picked this movie in particular? Because I'd never heard of it. Yeah. So actually, when I was growing up, my dad used to talk about this movie a lot. And for a long time, it was actually, you couldn't find it anywhere. That's still true. So it was just... (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, you're right. You're right. (laughs) It is still pretty hard to find. Um, But he would he would tell me the story of it a lot. And I was fascinated by the story. And I love Sunset Boulevard. So for years and years, I had it in my head that this was like some amazing (laughs) film. And then (laughs) uh, you watch it and you're like, oh, um, well, that's crazy. My dad told this way better than it's actually playing now. So do you think part of it might be because, like, you work in movies and stuff and, like, you have the technical eye to, like, go beyond face value? That pun is not intended for this movie, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, yeah, because the thing is, I feel like there's so there's so much potential with this movie, and I'm not exactly sure... What exactly went wrong? Like, I couldn't tell you what's bad about the movie, but there's something off about it, if that makes I, sense. I kind of agree, because I didn't dislike the movie, but it was a movie that I definitely, as I was watching it, I was like, because it, it, 
I, I like wrote down questions as the movie was happening and I was like, they screwed this up. And then they would address that. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually very well made. And like, it's mm-hmm. the technical skill is there. And there's just something's missing. And see, that's why I think it makes it makes for an ideal remake, because I personally don't think that masterpieces should ever be remade. Like, I don't think they should really ever remake Sunset Boulevard because that's a perfect movie. But something that has like a really compelling idea that has really, you know, has like really romantic, like notions about old Hollywood and all of that. Like, I feel I feel as though maybe someone who wasn't in the golden age would be able to do it better, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Part of the reason I pulled the quote that I did for the intro is because Billy Wilder seemed to have a disdain for this sort of person. And that that comes across in the movie. Like, he clearly hates people like Fedora. And he, <laughs> I think he genuinely does think that Marilyn Monroe, people like Fedora, are what's ruining Hollywood. And so I think... If like like just at the core level of making this movie as someone who doesn't hate the subject matter, I think it will be better. Like even if it was the same, just someone who's like, yeah, let's find the good or celebrate. Yes, yes, because that's the thing is that even though Fedora is a very sympathetic character, if you break down exactly what's happened to her or and like all of this stuff, but she's so unlike. Yeah, that's what that's part of what made it so good. Like she is deeply unlikable, and that's fascinating. <laughs> but I do think, like, I think, um, yeah, I just, oh man, I just also think, like, yeah, he had like a real boomer energy yeah. to the whole thing because <laughs> he obviously is like, oh, back in my day, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like that kind of yeah. thing. Although who knew, like he he was on to something because now now you think about the way where we are with celebrity just in this landscape and it's a thousand times worse. You think it's worse? Yeah. Oh, so. interesting. I've always thought it was better. Well, I mean, I think just like the fact that there's so much um there's so much access, you know, yeah. to people, I think that is a problem. I feel like there's something about the old way. I mean, there were a ton of problems. Don't get me wrong. Like there were a lot of issues with like the studio system and all of that. But there's something about the fact that there was a little bit of a um, not disconnect, but you know, there was there was the movie star, and like you didn't know much about them, and that was part of their allure. So that there's mm-hmm. there's this mystery to Fedora because you don't know really anything about her. But, you know, except, like, this persona that she has. I feel like now we That's don't fair. really get that. I mean, the way I've always kind of, like, measured it out in my head is that in ye olden times, um, <laughs> they, they were looking for gods. They were looking to pe- for people to worship. Like, people like mm. Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, all, like, uh, all of these people were, like, there are literal shrines to all of these people. Like these are these are the gods of Hollywood, and people worship them. Like Marilyn Monroe shows up in dress was a legit front page headline, mm-hmm. as opposed to and but and then that's sort of true now. But I think what people are looking for now is they're not looking for gods. They might still be looking for heroes and people to worship because I still think that's a thing people do. 
but I, I think it's less deification and more they're just like us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. People want the, uh, the relatability, which I think is crazy because you do hear, you do hear about like celebrities and you're like, you're nothing like me. I don't, I don't understand where we're supposed to connect together. Well, it's the, uh, oh man, I'm forgetting her name now. Uh, uh the Chrissy Teigen thing from a, mm. a couple weeks back or whatever. Where, like, people were giving her grief, and she's like, I don't understand. Why are people giving me grief? Because you casually tossed out that you didn't know that a $10,000 bottle, bottle of wine was $10,000. Yeah, and that you were still wealthy person. able to pay the bill just fine. Like, it was just, like, a minor gripe to you. It wasn't like yeah. it ruined your night. <laughs> and that, like, you could even be in a position where you could accidentally buy a $10,000 bottle of wine. Like yeah, the rest so of us, if I accidentally never I, accidentally, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, it was it's her like, seeming oh, shocked by the whole thing. She was, she like didn't understand why people were so annoyed by that, right? <laughs> and and she's one of the quote unquote down to earth ones, and right, so she it's is. Like, but that, but at the end of the day, that's also like power influence and money compared with no power no influence no money so who knows (laughs) but so you talk a lot about a lot more thrillers and things than i do just because so listeners jenna has a lovely podcast called sweet sweet garbage um where weekly every other week how often do episodes drop um we we usually do once a week but just because with everything going on with you know, vaccine stuff, and she's across the country, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus. But usually it's every week. Totally fair. But you talk about some sort of thriller every week? Yeah, it's usually... So a lot of a lot of them are, like, the movies we watched when we were kids. So, like, Fear or Basic Instinct. You know, like, those 90s thrillers that we mm-hmm. watched growing up that we really loved, but then now we're revisiting them, and then... You know, kind of seeing it from, like, the feminist angle, where it's like, oh, man, some of this is really not great. So why do we love it so much? Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's kind of so, the thing. <laughs> so I, but the reason why I bring that up, aside from, like, hey, check out this other movie podcast. If you like this my movie podcast, you'll like this other movie podcast, is your knowledge and knowledge of this genre is a lot greater than mine so i so like when we start talking about because i think we should go over the plot of this movie because this movie was so hard to Mm -hmm. track down we should probably give everyone a breakdown of what fedora is (laughs) but i'm definitely going to ask you like what are the core thriller elements of this movie that are required to stay Mm -hmm. Um, but before we do that let's tell people what the movie fedora is yes so this Uh, movie fedora it's basically a companion piece to Sunset Boulevard, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen, but that focuses on an older actress who is past her prime and is trying to um, basically get her comeback going. And um, that also starred William Holden, who is in this movie. He's Barry. He's the older gentleman. He's, he plays a very similar character in both, where he's like a very persuasive guy who's like you know trying to like get ahead 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's definitely, like, in this, though, he's, you know, trying to get, he's trying to produce a movie, and so he wants to get Fedora to do it. And, you know, he's trying to be, like, super charming and, like, really, you know, <laughs> he's trying to pull the moves. Although William Holden in 1978 certainly doesn't have the same pull as William Holden in 1952. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't. He just doesn't. <laughs> Uh, it's this it's this is a terrible analogy it's the same blade but it's not as sharp anymore that's terrible i couldn't come up with anything better oh no (laughs) well see so that's why i like to call it i like to think of them as bookends like this is one this is one piece that's about this and then it's it's like another take on it basically and so they kind of they kind of bookend each other (laughs) yeah but um in, yes, so in Fedora, he basically, um, he goes looking for her because she's, you know, become like a reclusive person. Um, she's, you know, she's uh, very mysterious now. Like, he calls different places and he can't quite get her, you know, so he can't find her, basically. And they have a little bit of a past. They, um... I think the term is boinked on the beach. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was, you know, it was super romantic. He was definitely cashing in some favors. <laughs> but yeah, so basically he goes looking for her and then he does find her on this island and he sees that she's surrounded by these people who don't seem to let her be by herself. The thing is, like, you notice that she still looks beautiful. Like, she looks like like she did when they had sex on the beach. And William Holden very obviously doesn't <laughs> look the same at all. Yeah, they um, talk about how th- basically she's been a recluse having and l- lives with this plastic surgeon for all this time, keeping her young, but she constantly has to yes. wear gloves because you can do as much as you can to the face to keep it young, but nothing can hide age in the hands of a woman. Oh, it's true. Yeah. It's true, though. It, the, and that's something I think like people bring up now, like... In when people talk about plastic surgery mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, you have those um, consultants and they're like, yeah, there's really not much you can do about the hands. And it's crazy that like all this time, like 30, 40 years later, that's still that's still a thing. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I'm not a big fan of plastic surgery in general, but like your body, do whatever makes you happy. But it, it eventually will reach a point where people can tell like, oh, this person's had work done. And in this movie... Right. No, that's true. Although, if you think about it... Go ahead. Well, that's the thing. So there's this, like, air of mystery to her that... Because she looks so... She still looks very youthful. And, you know, she she is always wearing a hat. And she has her sunglasses on. And Mm -hmm. she's, like, you never quite see all of her. Which I liked. I liked that touch. You know, you're always... She's always, like, slightly obscured. But, yeah, so... What I like about this, though, is, like, I love those kind of mysteries. I love film noirs where, you know, it's, like, a lot of times in a film noir, it's, like, a detective who's going and trying to find someone and then getting caught in this weird web. And in this movie, it kind of follows that, has that mapping device in this film, except, you know, it's about some movie producer (laughs) that's just trying to do... Yeah. He wants her for Anna Karina. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, which is wild. Like, she's some sort of Polish, I think, but it's never really specific. But, like, we also skipped over the point that this movie opens with 
fedora throwing herself under a train like that's like the first thing we see in this movie and then we go to fedora's funeral and it's like they're having to like line people up around the corner to go in and like march around her open casket so they could say goodbye pay their respects and it's and they have to shut the doors because there's just too many people there (laughs) and then we get into the story where like where uh, uh, Barry Detweiler is like, this was probably my fault that she's dead. Yes, and that's such a film noir way to start, where it's always that, like, something tragic happens, and then and then the person who's, like, dealing with it is like, oh, 36 hours later, well, if I could have done things differently, blah, blah, blah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and so basically we get, uh, we, we meet Fedora, and we think she's being held against her will, and she is. Yes. But we think it's just like they're, I don't know, using her for her money or something. Yeah, yeah. Because at first it's like, oh, what is this? Like, do you think, you're like, what is going on with her and this countess? Like, what is, th- like, this is some weird stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> and then you, then the, you know, later you find out how weird. But, like, at the very beginning, it, it, it is kind of, it's very confusing and, you know, he's trying to make sense of it because he's, you know, trying to bribe some of the workers to be like, hey, can you can you get her for me? Like, I want to talk to her. Like, I know her. And they're like, she's not here. And, like, clearly she is. Right. <laughs> like, they're not even, like, making any bones about, like, the fact that they're lying to this guy's face. <laughs> and, and then they're what's like, crazy no. is that all that, and then they invite him in. And then, like, they like invite and say, well... Here she is. Yeah. And it, 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 makes no, it, it makes no sense until later in the movie when it all of a sudden, because that was one of the things, like, why would you invite him? And then we find out why, why he was invited, but. Right. No, at the beginning, it's just like, what the, what the hell is this? What, who are these people? Why, what is, what is going on? So, yeah, I really like, I mean, normally I really love the way that mystery is kind of built up. But again, in this movie, it really Right, until later in the movie when things are explained, then things make sense. But, like, I don't know. I felt like it just wasn't... It was handled clumsily, I thought. I I agree. It was a movie where I kept having, like, deep questions, but it didn't leave me with any questions. Like, I had questions over the course of the movie, but it kind of answered all of them. It just left me with, well, these are all shit humans. (laughs) Yeah. No, it really just, like, makes you not like anybody. Yeah, so... (laughs) Basically, we get to the middle of the movie and Dutch is like pursuing Fedora's like and he he the first time he sees her, she's managed to escape and she's in this little shop and she's trying to buy little film, like little boxes of film. And he he gives her some money so she can buy this stuff. And she's clearly terrified of getting taken back to the compound or whatever. Right. And we think she's just desperately trying to cling to and remember this this life she used to lead. Yeah, yeah. Because at first, at first I couldn't tell that it was film because, like, the way the guy was, like, handling it. I remember, like, I had to, like, rewind it because I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, when we were, when, like, she's having that exchange with the guy because the guy's acting really shady. Yeah. About what seems to just be f- what ends up being just film yeah. contraband movies. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he's like, oh, you don't have any money. You didn't pay last time. You know, 
well, I'm going to just hold these. And I was like, are they bullets? Well, I I didn't think they were bullets, but I couldn't, at first I couldn't, I didn't connect that it was film. And then of course it turns out it's not film, but it's just in the little film boxes. Yeah, yeah, in the canister. That's certainly how I would sell drugs. (laughs) Right. Just in the most, oh man, it's very, it is very dramatic though. So I feel like for us to continue, we are going to need to spoil this movie. So I want to give the caveat that if anyone who's listening is able to figure out a way to track down this movie and watch it, I genuinely recommend it. I think it is worth a watch. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, I had known about the, well, we'll just say, like, there is a twist. We find out what this is. And I had known about it for years and years before I actually first saw the movie, like, five or six years ago. And so even when I knew what was happening, like, I was still engrossed because, you know, I was like, oh, well, how is this going to play out? How am I going to, you know, how how am I going to find out, you know, yeah. so... Honestly, guys, I do recommend this movie. It's, you know, it's, I would say it's like a, what would you say? It's like a curiosity. Yeah. It's a very, it's an odd movie. It it is a movie that is out of time in that it is speaking about an era that it itself does not exist in while also not necessarily fitting in the era that it was actually released in because it feels very much like another movie from the 50s. Because yes. which is when it takes place, and yet it came out in 1978, and it, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was very, it's, the thing is, like, I really think he, uh, Billy Wilder was probably, you know, he's nostalgic for, again, we were kind of bringing this up, he's nostalgic for the golden era. Mm-hmm. But I think being a little bit too close to it, like, he wasn't very he wasn't able to be objective in a weird way. So then it just kind of seems like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's just like, oh, this is like just a completely different dimension. (laughs) They look like us. They talk like us, sort of. But like, they are not of this world. (laughs) You know what? That's So yeah, so so basically what we're saying is this is a movie that kind of needs to be seen. That said, we're still going to talk about it because that makes good radio. Um... (laughs) yes so your warning is uh so three two one spoiler time jenna do you want to give the big spoiler Spoiler. yes yes so what happens is that fedora basically she had been getting these plastic surgeries and we you know we have that doctor and all of that what we find out is that one of the surgeries, like, went wrong and she, like, disfigured her face. So then what they ended up doing was they got her daughter to start acting like Fedora, to basically take over the Fedora persona. Her estranged and, daughter who, when yes. you're introduced to her as an actual child, is very, is voiceovered <laughs> and it. That is the worst part of this movie. Oh, man. <laughs> like, they voice over this kid, and it's definitely an adult's voice coming out of her mouth. And it's, it is unsettling. It is wild. I, and again, that's what, unsettling is the right word. And again, like, it seems like it's another dimension. Because you're like, why, why did they do that? Why, 
what like what was the reason <laughs> it's and I tried looking into it because I was like oh maybe was it like a local child who maybe had you know maybe like had a thick Greek accent or something but there's no there there's no information so like it's just a choice yep. a wild choice that they did mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's, so um, it's so basically this child is completely estranged from her mother Fedora and then right. once Fedora gives up her film career because if she's not the beautiful Fedora, she's nothing, then yes. all of a sudden her child is back in her life who is now so desperate for attention she's willing to do anything her mother wants. Right. This is And so, yeah. yeah I, so I was listening to another podcast called uh, You Need to See This, and the the hosts, Cozy Orlin and Luce Tomlin Brenner, were talking about like a genre of movie where all of this would be fixed if the characters got therapy. <laughs> right? Oh my god. If these people paid more as much money as they did on plastic surgeons that they could on like a therapist, oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so ba- so basically Fedora gets her daughter to take her place. Cuz like she was going to win an award or something, so Peter Fonda shows up to give her the award and she doesn't want anyone to see her looking the way she does. So she has the daughter take her place, and then that works so well that they make it permanent. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> until. And then it just, yes, until. And of course, because, you know, this is, this is a movie, and this, you know, something has to go wrong. Like, she can't just be, you know, getting away with being Fedora forever. Right. And she has um, to fall in love. She falls in love. She falls in love with Michael York. That's right. As played by Michael York. He's playing himself. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I also it's love so it. It's so funny to me. It's, I was like, this is perfect. I was like, I have no notes. This is hilarious. I love it. <laughs> I, I, 100%. It was a great thing that happened. It's literally just fedor- <laughs> like fake fedora is in a movie cast opposite Michael York, and then they just fall for each other, and she's, like, roughly the same age, and um, fake Fedora is, like, oh, well, I mean, I'm gonna let him in, because obviously we're we're into each other. And the the caretaker, like, this woman who's been kind of taking care of Fedora or, and or babysitting the daughter forever mm-hmm. is like, no. <laughs> uh, you may not care about your mother, but I do, and you are going to live as her forever. You have given up your identity and are fedora now. And it's like, oh, uh. man. Yeah, and it's like, it's wild. You're like, what? Well, what's crazy <laughs> to me is that, like, she's... Ba- uh, so I kind of ranked the worst people in this movie. And Fedora's pretty much up there. But Miss Balfour, the 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 assistant yeah the well she's like the like the maid kind of like a like you know the woman in rebecca the one who's just like always around right she's the worst one. Oh, she's awful and she she's the worst she's one just... for a number of reasons because she says the worst things to antonia that's the daughter's name yes Antonia. basically she's like no no antonio's gone you're only fedora now and that is who you are forever you are nothing you can be nothing you are only fedora which is fucked up Wow, it was wild. I but, I gasped. I gasped out loud. I remember the first time. Yeah, so like, <laughs> of course she goes and jumps under a train. But like, not only that, Miss <laughs> Balfour is the one that raised the daughter. 
She spent right. more time so with the, the daughter closest. than she spent with Fedora. So she should right. she should care more about the daughter. No, it's crazy. Because, yeah, when you realize that, because she basically raised her growing up, and but then still has this, like, insane, what would you call it? Not commitment, loyalty? but um, lo- loyalty. Yeah, loyalty to the real Fedora that you're like, why? Like, I mean, not to be rude, but you are, you are just the help. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, like, the only <laughs> explanations I could think of is that she has some sort of life debt, and I don't know what it would be, or <laughs> she's a total Smithers. Right. Well, because there is, a th- yeah. <laughs> a part of me thinks, like, maybe she, they obviously don't explore this or anything, but I was like, maybe she's in love with her. You know what I mean? Like, maybe she just, like, this this off, like, d- undying loyalty to this woman that, like, doesn't even really pay attention to her, you know, just... Well, that kind of goes back know. to my original thought of, like, it's a different form of celebrity. Because, like, mm-hmm. in this case, like, the only other time you see that kind of reverent worship is with God. Like, it doesn't matter what the... Like, there's some people, like, it doesn't matter what the church does... It is the church, and they will follow it forever, regardless. Yes. Like, when people commit whole hog to some sort of, like, it cults, religions, all the same thing. Like, you see the posts of the, like, the QAnon nutbags who are like, no, I've given up my family. I've spent all my money on this. I don't care. I'm all in on QAnon. It doesn't matter. This is my life now. And it's right. like, a, a, right. for lack of a better phrase, Miss Balfour really drank the fedora juice. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it's just like Fedora is her god and will do anything that the god requests. But e- like even the dude who was Antonia's father, who I didn't recast because who cares? Um, oh, yeah, I didn't. Basically, he's like, <laughs> I I didn't want our daughter to do this, but you're Fedora and I literally can't say no to you because you are Fedora. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure there are people who thought about Marilyn Monroe the same way. Just like it's this level of hero worship that I think it, it has got to be synonymous with religion. No, absolutely. And one thing that really, like, came to me this time, watching it this week, especially because, you know, like, that Britney Spears documentary oh, just yeah. came out, you know? And you can't, like, I, it, it was hard not to kind of see some of the parallels because... I mean, it's obviously a very different situation, but she, you know, she is trapped by these people that, you know, claim to be closest to her and claim to have her best interests in mind. But literally, it has nothing to do with her as a person. It's just her brand and her, you know, her celebrity and all of that. So, Which brings up the question of Fedora working to maintain that the people's belief and like having this representation of her to the point where she's like organizing and designing her own funeral as it's happening mm-hmm. because basically because so fedora is the countess and then she makes her daughter antonia the new fedora so antonia yes. the daughter is who throws herself under the train and at the beginning of the movie right yeah and so and then so the middle of the movie we cut back to the funeral and Barry uh, Detweiler learns, oh no, the Countess was Fedora all along. And then we start getting the story and this backstory of how it came to be. 
Yeah. But basically, like, the the real Fedora, who was the countess, is, like, organizing her funeral. She's, like, making sure that this pre- it's so, as presentational as possible. That, like, literally the people who have come to worship her are given the the the, the experience that they deserve. So... No, absolutely. And there's something so wild about that. Because, yeah, you see... It's such a lavish um, production. Like you said, we see this like long procession of fans who are just going to, you know, that are walking by and it's in this like beautiful, you know, cathedral type thing. And, you know, there's all these like the velvet and everything. And it's very beautiful. It's almost like, you you know, it's almost like the, um, you know, planning your own wedding, except it's, you know, obviously (laughs) it's death. I mean, it's the other big thing. Yeah, the ultimate, you know, she planned her wedding. She might as well plan her funeral. Yeah, well, she never got married, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but yeah. Yes. But, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And it, But like, it, it's almost like she is also a worshiper of Fedora, even though she is Fedora, but then she's not Fedora. But she's like, this is this is the god they worship, and this god must be given the appropriate send-off. And even the movie says, like, like, a couple months after this funeral, she herself died because it was over. Fedora was dead. There was no more. Yeah. yeah. And even poor Michael York shows up to the funeral and lays a single oh, rose. I cried. I cried. I got a little teary, I'll admit. Because <laughs> part of what was happening is they were keeping Antonia there because she was done being Fedora and she wanted to like tell the world. And she was like going back and forth like in her own head. She was broken. Like she was Fedora, but she also wasn't Fedora. And finally, mm-hmm. at the end, when she thought she was gonna like they, th- she she was still just in love with Michael York, and they they did this thing where they tricked her into thinking Michael York was gonna show up and be in love with her too. So she went to the train station to go meet him, and he wasn't there, and so she threw herself under the train because like Miss Balfour says, no, he's never coming. You will be Fedora forever. Be broken, and. and it it turned out that not only was she in love with michael york michael york was in love with her too yeah and so it it could have worked (laughs) they could have made it work but uh god said no yeah it's true yeah (laughs) so as the thriller expert here what are the aspects of this movie that are necessary to both capture the spirit of the original fedora but we need to carry over into our version. Right. So I think obviously, like, I I think I would maybe, I don't know that I would really change the form of it so much because I do love that there is this underlying mystery. So there is this, um, you know, we're trying to figure out, well, first we're trying to figure out why is Fedora this way? And then it's like, oh shit, how did Antonia become this? How did this happen? So I think that's like, that's always going to be like the underlying thing for any thriller, you know, like it's a good, you need a good mystery. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't know. I feel like I would kind of change around some of the, um, the structure of it a little bit, but yeah, tell me, I'm trying to think like, I kind of don't want to start with the, um, the death. I don't want to see, yeah, I don't want to see the death right away. And I know that's always such a, like, big thing. Like I said, it was, like, a big thing in film noirs. And they even do it. They do it in all these, like, Lifetime movies where they, like, start with the death and then, like, go backwards. 
And I just, I don't, I don't care for that. And it's, it's I don't honestly really more like powerful that. when we get to it later. It's like, oh no. Yeah. Because like, we, because we spend the whole movie waiting for her to jump under a train. And then the, the, re, the movie he's making is Anna Karenina, where she jumps under a train. So it's like this whole yeah. big thing. And, right. And it, it honestly might be more impactful if we get to this moment, like, for... <laughs> to put it in film terminology, like the all is lost moment where all is lost. So she ends it. And it's right. like this deeply tragic, like she is nothing and has nothing and, and cannot go on. Right. And that's why, so what I would do, I think in the beginning is really kind of focus on the memories and like maybe stay in the flashbacks a little bit longer just so that we see why Barry, like, you know, it is kind of insane that Barry has gone all all the way to, like, Corfu to yeah. look for this woman, you know? Like, they don't even really get into that. Like, he just shows up and it's it's just, that's what it is. They get into a little bit. He, talk, he talks about how, like, he, he he's not doing well financially, which, of course, led to the question, if you're not doing well financially, how do you be, how, how were you able to come to Corfu? Oh, well, his ex-wife lent him the money. Um, <laughs> as like, a, oh, take that. I'm like, all right, his ex-wife lent him the money. Whatever. Um, but it's like, he he found some people to make this movie, and I don't know how it came up in conversation, but they basically said, if you can get Fedora to be in the movie, then you'll get the money. Which I basically think it mean. which I basically think it was like, they gave him this ultimatum of like, you're never going to be able to make this movie, Unless you get Without the her. ultimate star. And the right. ultimate star is Fedora. Little do they know that uh, they boinked on the beach. And he's hoping <laughs> that she remembers that. Yeah. Because he's, he's literally pinning everything he has on the hope that maybe she remembers one random evening 40 years earlier. Right. And it is funny. It is funny that the, when they go into that flashback, it really just seems to happen because, you know, she's like naked in a in a pool and he he's supposed to be like putting flowers over her or something. Yeah. And like he yawns and that clearly pisses her off. She's like, I, it, literally, she calls him to the Excuse trailer me. and she says, do you think I have a good body? He's like, yeah, you've got, got, got a good body. And she says, wrong. I have a terrific body. <laughs> right and she's like so do you like girls it was like very very direct with him yeah very homophobic but very direct yeah very very homophobic <laughs> oh, man and yeah so like basically she's like well like how dare any like i am I am beauty incarnate, and he dares yawn at me. I'll show him by having sex with him. Yeah, he he says that he has a date with who I guess is his new girlfriend, but that still it ends with them going to the beach and having sex, and then waking up and going to the set the next day. Yeah, so it's like literally so he, a one night stand. Yeah, he literally just stood up his girlfriend to go. Which I mean. Listen, if the opportunity arises. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, this is the definition of a hall pass situation. Yeah. He's just like, oh, man, I can't say no. All right. Like, <laughs> I, 
I literally can't because like then I would live the rest of my life <laughs> having like said no to this once in a lifetime ex- like opportunity. Once, yeah, once in a lifetime for sure. <laughs> it's and it does. It is funny the way Stephen Collins kind of plays that scene. It does seem like he doesn't believe what is happening while it's happening in front of him, oh, which I thought was so funny. He was like, are, are you being serious? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, all right, let's go. Let's go. I'll get you a hot dog and we'll go bang. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, whatever you want, crazy lady, who is also yeah. terrific. Bo- I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, also your boss. I don't want to say the wrong, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want you to get me fired. Because he, like, in this movie, he's, like, the second assistant director. So he's, like... They, they kind of make it seem like, oh, he's, like, low on the totem pole. Which, you know, yeah. whatever, he is. But, <laughs> you know, there is also that kind of, like, sense, like, oh, shit, like, if she says something to the director, will he get mad at me and, like, fire me? <laughs> yeah, he is imminently expendable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so weird. It's not great, but I feel like this is, like, one of those things where it's his last shot. And so it's one of those things where as the movie progresses, you're like, oh, I kind of get it. This guy is literally on his last leg. This is his only opportunity. And he's willing to see through and do everything he can because otherwise he has nothing. And his career is in ruins and over. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he does have that thing where he talks about how he produced one movie that had like a few nominations. But after that, it's been, it's all been kind of like middling. Yeah. Like he doesn't. Which, he's like, fair, you, you know, he's still that had some nominations. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's more than most people. <laughs> yeah, like, I, frankly, I consider your career to be a success. Yeah, and honestly, at this point, you're, like, in your 60s. Like, retire. Go, like, I don't know. Go start a theater company somewhere, Barry. Come on. Yeah, but <laughs> what ends up happening is, against all odds, the Countess, the real Fedora, does remember that, and that's why she'd invited him in... And, like, why she told him all of this, because not the way I read it as, not only does she remember him, he remembers the real Fedora when she was the real Fedora. Right. Right. Which is sad and also... Oh, it was very devastating. Very devastating. Because there's that line, there's that line where, you know, basically he's talking to the Countess and... You know, she says, you know, it's like, oh, don't you remember me? Or something like that, you know? And it cut, it like cut through my stomach. I was so upset. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's such, such a like quietly sad thing, you know? And, and they only have that brief <laughs> moment right at the end of the movie where they actually get to reminisce. And it's like, it's the first time really either of them smiles or has any joy the entire movie. Right. It, no, because now they actually, it's an actual moment of real connection. Yeah. And it's very much, hey, remember when we were young and attractive and happy? Yeah. Well, back to reality. And then we move on. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It is devastating. Yeah. And then, like you said, you know, a couple of months later, then the Countess dies because, you know, the, yeah, God, God is gone, you know? There's nothing left for her to do, yeah. you know? Like, and she herself is, Fedora is dead. The world believes her to be dead. And that's the, that's the ruse that she spent her 
her later years maintaining it. So yeah, she she now she has nothing left. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's wild. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's why I do think like something like this. I think it could be remade because the actual material, when you delve into it, it's so rich and there's so much there. And these characters are very, they're, they're super sad. And like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it feels real in its unreality because the emotion, because mm-hmm. like, you can kind of like, even the people who are terrible you can kind of see like the emotions that they're having. Right. But yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> so when do you want to set this movie? Like what, what, when do you want this movie to take place? I would, I would keep, Hmm. I still think I would want it to be like when Fedora was in her prime. I meant in time period. Like what year? Yeah. So, well, Oh, I would say then, um, because I like so my my kind of go to thought for all of these remakes is my my gut always is like well let's set it now let's see what happens right simply because why not like how would we make this movie right now today because theoretically mm-hmm. like we we make fun but this movie kind of did take place in 1978 ish or at least in the 70s because mm-hmm. Michael York is there. And Michael York is a present day celebrity. I mean, he here he is doing Logan's Run, and oh no, it's Star Wars also came out. But look at this guy! Oh, poor Michael York. <laughs> but but seriously, like I, like if we set this movie now, I I think that's kind of what we have to do. Because mm-hmm. I think we also need to take a, a star who is famous now. Like, because I recast Michael York with a modern day celebrity, and we'll get to casting in a minute. But right. like, we have all of now to play with. So, like, I think we should set it now. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I think because I originally was thinking I would update it to just to have it be the '60s. Because I just love that time period and I love those, like, costumes. Well, that's the fun thing. Because, and that sort of thing. Because I think our fedora was popular in the 60s. Right, right. Okay, okay. Yes. So then having it, yeah, having it be now. Okay. I mean, that's still 50 years ago. But, like, even still, like, 60s, late 60s. Why not? Well, think, like, well, think about, I mean, Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn got her start in the 60s. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, I mean, I don't think that's, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like a super far stretch, you know? Yeah, you're right. Okay. So someone who popular in that era and then something happens and they, we have to kind of move on. <laughs> but, but yeah, so what, ha- like, what's our story? So I, do we still like, do we still want it to be a botched plastic surgery I mean, I do think that makes the most sense. Although, with my casting, I did do, like, a radical change. So, I, I've i actually gender swapped. Oh, so, so I don't know. you have your your fedora's male? Uh, yes. Oh, so, the fedora and the count. So, I, I felt like maybe I should just bring that up. Yeah, you probably but I basically, that, was a, that was a good instinct. Yeah. Talk to me about that. <laughs> uh, what inspired you to do that? 
Well, basically, I was thinking about, you know, like reclusive type actors. And at first I was like, oh, maybe it's like a Kate Blanchett or maybe it's just some like I was like going through all this stuff. But then when I went into who I thought could direct it, then then I like lightning struck and I was like, oh, my God, I want to cast this guy as the count <laughs> and this other guy because I think they I think they're both good actors. I mean, obviously, one of them is considered one of the best actors of all time. But <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I went with the gender swap, though, because there is I, I was I was interested in it. Because we don't actually discuss male celebrity a lot, you know, and a lot of times, most of the time, I would say it's always centered on a woman. And I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. I understand it. But then I was like, oh, well, why don't we ever, why don't we ever explore that? Why is it that like, whenever a man gets like, is successful in some way, it's there's nothing really complicated about it. I think that's so. an interesting thing to delve into. But so my counter to that is part of what allowed the deception to work was the quantity of makeup, which Ooh, yeah, is something that is certainly present uh, <laughs> for male actors or for female actors, but is less so for male no, that's true. That's true. I feel like that you might have to. Um, I mean, yeah, it would become more about like prosthetics. Well, I think look, at that th- case, there, th- <laughs> there have been different ways, and movies have been pitched and remade. And a way you could certainly do it would be if it was a, a very famous drag performer. Mm-hmm. However, I don't. Yeah, I think that would unnecessarily clutter this movie. Yeah. No, that's very true. <laughs> but it. Gender aside, I, I think I, I think kind of the bones of the movie of a, a a now now a silver age star as opposed to a golden age star who had to disappear from public like in a Gene Wilder kind of way where we don't really know what happened and mm. it's still kind of like talked about like oh yeah that that performer was so great and then somehow they make this meteoric comeback but at the same time i don't want to have like magic plastic surgery but i don't know what else to do because like another bad take would be like you do the hologram thing of like oh it's all cgi but i don't want to do that either because that's not really <laughs> no. the ruse like i feel yeah. like we have to go with especially because like, I have friends who have now gotten plastic surgery. Friends who are n- not much older than me and sometimes not older than me. And I'm 32. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a little early to get plastic surgery, but it's not my body. They're welcome to do whatever they want, regardless of my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you just keep heightening that to a point where eventually it might, like, every time you go under the knife, it's a risk. Well, no, that's true. And that's why, you know, people do say it's it's not advised to start doing it when you're in your 20s and even in your early 30s, just because not that you're like growing much more, but like you're still kind of settling into your features, right. I think, when you're um, yeah when you're in your 20s. And so then like, you know, messing around with that. And again, like it's like what you said, like you can do whatever you want with your body, but... 
there, yeah, like you said, there's that risk. And there is, that is what happens with Fedora is that she's chasing the youth so much that then she does, she does a risky procedure that ends up, you know, disfiguring her. And then that's kind of where all of this kind of comes from. And we haven't talked about the doctor that much, but he is a kind of a a main part of this movie. And I, I actually think he's really interesting because he's yeah. terrible and he's helped keep he's helping to keep Antonia in place and he helps kind of turn Antonia into Fedora. But we also don't talk about him as the man who destroyed Fedora's face. Like he had oh, yeah, to do no, it. I I think he's also yeah. trapped. Like he can't do anything else. He destroyed Fedora's face. His his life is over. Yeah. And I I'm sure that guilt and that, um... I don't think it's like, guilt. He doesn't strike me as someone who feels guilt. I, I felt like there might be a little bit of guilt because, you know, kind of like when you, like... What, do you, what is it? Like, when you desecrate, like, a, a statue or something. I'm not which, saying, which like... Which I've he, definitely done. <laughs> well, you know, who hasn't? <laughs> you, you know, you just feel a little bit of guilt. You're just like, ah, oh, shit, that was a really beautiful thing that I just <laughs> uh, accidentally threw a football at, and now it's broken. <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, again, like, we've talked about, like, the religious um, aspects of this and, like, the re- religious aspects of... Um, celebrity and like I do feel like there is a little bit of that like now he has this responsibility and I think he feels tied to Fedora and feels like he has to do this for her because of what he has done to her you know what I mean yeah you're right yeah I mean he also committed the ultimate sacrilege and so he must he must repent yeah exactly (laughs) but but I I also think that that's uh, but, but I feel like, like, so I don't think we necessarily need to be like, oh, this real person, because I think all of us are so familiar with the concept of a celebrity of like, if someone came in and messed up Angelina Jolie's face, everybody oh in the world God. would know that person's name forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that that's interesting because like, I, there are still celebrities that I think reach that height status like you have your crazy a-listers like your angelina jolie's and your brad pitts and whatnot oh yeah no there's still i i still think like we still have some you know the movie star the um the the pinnacle i feel like we haven't had any like new ones in a while yeah there was some article or something i read that talked about how such and such person is the last movie star because it's the they were the kind of like like Jennifer Lawrence is like the last movie star. Yeah, that's what it seems like because everybody after that, I mean, I know who they are and I know you know and you watch their movies and you 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 know, you know their names and whatever, but yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, like I remember when everybody was like nuts about her, like couldn't get enough and she was in everything and she she was able to do blockbusters, but she was also doing, like, Oscar-type movies. Like, she she had it all. Yeah. But then you take someone who... It, 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 like, let's take Anna Kendrick, for example. And I think she has that same level of celebrity. But I don't think we think of her as reverently. No. Because no. she does television. <laughs> I mean, she has a show on literally every streaming network, but still... Well, and also, too, I think what it is, is the um, the accessibility that we were kind of talking about earlier. Yeah. 
the fact that we we can follow these people on Twitter and we can we can see their thoughts and we can go on Instagram and go check out their stories and we see them in their mansions like making food and there's like there's not a mysteriousness. Yeah, we to we get to see them anymore. singing Imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So great. Uh, they're just like us. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> two days into a lockdown, and they're going to sing Imagine. Oh, wow! But I, I think that we can kind of take that idea because I, I think that's still an idea that's familiar to everybody, and it's this amazing person who fucked up their face, and it, and it's, and all of a sudden they get even if it's not their own life, they get the idea, they get the opportunity to be this celebrity again, this intoxicating, powerful figure. Mm-hmm. And even more so, like, it could be someone who is completely off social media. They don't even have a cell phone. Yeah. It's just they're this ultimate recluse. And everyone thought it was for this reason. But it. But can you imagine how we, the people, would treat someone who was entirely inaccessible, who didn't have a cell phone, who just showed up, did the work, and then disappeared. Yeah, see, I think then, though, we would build up this movie star, like this, I think it would it would come again, it basically. Might. But then, like, of course, we'd have, like, the crazy drone flying over the thing. But what I think we oh, could get true. away with is that this, our fedora is able to stop being fedora. Like, they're literally able to escape. And he or she is able to take the mask off. And all of a sudden, they just start hating the mask more and more and more. And more is being asked and more time is being demanded of them to leave the mask on. Oh, I like that. I like the, So the idea that basically that they they it's it's like their fedora on not on the weekends, but that's that's my. Um, yeah analogy and then but then as it starts bleeding into the week every week right every right. day and they the, the times where they can be themselves it starts becoming fewer and fewer and fewer to the point where they stop being able to be themselves anymore and then who even is themselves right because at a certain point and you know you have a lot of actors who actually talk about this sometimes about how they they have trouble after playing, you know, one of, you know, once they've had like an iconic role, yeah, the one where they just don't, um, that it's hard for them to shake out of that character and something like that, this though, where it's like the, the character you're trying to shake is your own persona. Yes. Um, well, I like that. I some like that. changes that I would make is I would make it not her daughter. Yeah. I, that, that sort of makes her irredeemable in the eyes of everyone mm-hmm. because she basically sacrificed her she sacrificed her daughter right and like <laughs> there are a few things audiences will accept less than a bad mother and it's, <laughs> it's fucked up and sexist but it's still a thing but mm-hmm. the part of the reason why i want to do that is because i feel like good thrillers now leave us with further questions yeah, and there I, needs to be a little bit of ambiguity. Um, yeah. Yes. And I feel yeah. like the question we need to be left with by the time we get to the end of this movie is, so this fedora died, this public fedora died, whatever. But we know it wasn't the first fedora. What if they also weren't the second 
or even the third or the fourth fedora? What if this is something mm-hmm. that's happened before and like even like the the countess or whatever kept this going with someone new each time and then but we don't know. So we don't even know if the fedora that uh, Barry Detweiler slept with was the original fedora. Ooh, that's interesting. And it's just... I like that. So, uh, where, like, yeah, where it seems like maybe every three or four years they disappear or they, go, you know, or they go somewhere else. And and, and they get yeah. work done and no one knows who their doctor is. Like, it's their own private doctor that people are offering millions and millions of dollars to. But, of course, this doctor, the very first time, screwed it up. Like, the first proceed, the first time she went under the knife, <laughs> ruined her right. face. And all of a sudden, it's like, what am I going to do? And, right. And so every couple of years has more work done. But that more work being done is just a new host of Fedora. Ooh, that's interesting. I like that. It's just every single person has to come on and put on the hat. Mm-hmm. I had to say it. it the movie's called Fedora. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. Of course. <laughs> and, and that, I think, would work for our... Because like, it's the same basic bones as what we have. But for whatever reason, this is going... This is the last Fedora. We finally gotten to a point where this Fedora ended up needing to be the last one. And... Maybe she, maybe she or he jumped under the train because it was too much, and they wanted to go back to having their own life. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Fedora wanted this to be the last Fedora and wanted to orchestrate this funeral. And we don't oh, know which one of those right. two it is. Right. I think. Yeah. I think supporting. You know, giving enough evidence to support both of those claims would leave would leave us with more questions. Yeah. Because one of the things you talked about at the beginning is that the character of Fedora, the Countess, is deeply unlikable. But that's what yes. makes her super interesting because, like, literally the world looks up to, reveres her, and loves her. But she's mm-hmm. awful. Right. <laughs> but it's also, like, uh, she also sees this this cloak of celebrity around her and doesn't think she has anything else. Right. Because, you know, when you, and that's something, that is something, when you've been a celebrity for so long, what, what else can you do? What else, you, like what you said, what else are you? And that's probably why she keeps such a, you know, iron grip on it. Because, you know, if she doesn't have this, then she's nothing because yeah. she's disfigured and she's not the same person anymore. Yeah. You know? And of course the big reveal might even be that like, it's not a horrible disfigurement. Like it's this super minor thing that is potentially not even that big a deal, but because that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking it probably wasn't like something crazy. Like it might even just be a little scar, you know, not even anything that's super, super noticeable, but it is, you know, it is a small defect, but it is a defect nonetheless. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm on board with that. Yeah. Cause especially if she's like, you know, it would be funny if she's like trying to cover her face and she's, you know, doing all this and then finally takes it off and he doesn't even have to say anything. He just look at her and it's, you know, and then that would come across because you're like, you look fine. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of our story. That's kind of what we have. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
So then I think we need to start talking about casting. Sweet Sweet Garbage is a podcast in which two women, Jenna Redding and Bailey Von Schneider, take a look back at some of their favorite garbage films and television. Knowing them as we do, we have to ask the question, why do they find themselves enamored with this trash? Not only that, why do we ourselves root for the problematic woman? We love a good crazy stalker, male or female. Why is Bailey okay with the idea of Penn Badgley stalking her? Why does Jenna want to single white female every person she meets? Can they be feminists and still enjoy these indulgences? Let's find out. <laughs> because your fedora and your uh, countess are male. Well, I, I actually prepared for this because I knew we would talk it out. And I prepared a, like, a, a traditional one, just in case. So I can just go with the traditional one, since we've talked about keeping her a woman. Well, I'm, I'm still open to having it. I, I'm still open to being convinced otherwise. But, but the way you were talking about it and the way you were talking about Fedora right now, I just, I don't know that... I'm not. In, I'm I less interested that... in watching a movie about an unlikable man than I am about watching a movie about an unlikable <laughs> woman. Let me put it that way. Right, right. Well, the thing too, though, is that like I also just don't know that I I know of a lot of men that that image and like the persona and all of that is so important to them. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Yeah, I don't really see that. I just had this idea that. Um, I'm just going to say it because I, I'm not going to pitch it anymore, but okay. I kind of just thought it would be a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and that he would get Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement to play the count. <laughs> like that was my pitch. <laughs> and then I really didn't, um, I mean, I was, I thought about it a lot, but I wasn't connecting it to the, you know, the, um, the idea of like the celebrity and the image and all of that. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a good choice uh, if we were going uh, with a guy. I didn't necessarily cast someone who's the most famous person in the world, but mm -hmm. but yeah. Well, just someone who. But he does have this reputation of like being kind of mysterious and a recluse and mm -hmm. like retiring every like five or six years, and then right, and then people finding him on like a beach somewhere, like cobbling shoes. Yeah, you're trying. And like, you're trying to space jam fedora. I get it. <laughs> Just use use the real life things that are happening in the narrative of your movie. Makes total <laughs> right, sense. Right, right. I get it. Like I said, it's a clever idea. Um, but let's so let's start with uh, let's start with Barry Detweiler or Dutch as he likes to be called. Yes, Dutch. Would you like? Why to don't you go first? Okay. Uh, so mine is uh, an older actor um, who. <laughs> Everyone is kind of familiar with the work when he was younger, but he's kind of doing stuff now. Like he was, he was just in a movie a couple of years ago that was very good, big blockbuster. And I thought it would be fun to have Danny Glover be our uh, Barry Detweiler. Ooh, okay. Danny Glover okay. from Lethal Weapon and most recently Jumanji: The Next Level. Oh, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's good in it. He's very funny. Yeah, I recently just watched him in uh, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, he's in Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, he's like one of the, uh, uh, tele, you know, one of the telemarketers. Awesome. Because, yeah, yeah he's, he's great. He is a good actor, and he's like just this side of recognizable, but like isn't like, e even though everyone knows his name, they might not necessarily know his face. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I, yeah. Th- I thought he'd be fun. Who did you have? I actually went kind of in the opposite direction where I went with someone who was considered like a heartthrob back in the 90s and is now kind of very like decidedly middle-aged. Okay. And um, still, he's still a good-looking guy. Like people still like him. But I picked uh, Leo DiCaprio. You think and I was Leonardo DiCaprio this. is a middle-aged? Like, you, you... Well, the thing is, like, I, I really do think, like, if you put him, like, put the way he looks now with the way he looks in the 90s, where he looks kind of like a god. Like, he was, he was so, like, ethereally beautiful in the 90s. And I don't know, like, yeah, I kind of think he just looks like an old dude now. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably in the minority here. I think you might be in the minority here. <laughs> Especially because they keep making fun of the fact that it's Leonardo DiCaprio and he keeps dating like twenty year olds, right? So there's but that's because he's like rich. Him. He's super. He's super super rich I mean, and is a movie star. And I I think people still consider him super sexy. Really? I think maybe. So. I don't know. I really do think like with certain men, they just have like a sell by date, and then I'm just like nah. <laughs> does not bode well for uh the future for you <laughs> well no it's true because i usually tend to you know date or chase older people but it's always just like a ticking time bomb on itself <laughs> <laughs> uh the other the other, other argument i would make against leonardo dicaprio is that he's 46 um, as opposed to Danny Glover, who's 74. And if we want right. our our fedora to be someone who's popular in, like, the 60s. No, you're right. And I think I think they say in the movie, now that I'm thinking about it, I think they had said uh, that she was, like, that she's supposed to be 68. Yeah, 67. 67, yeah. Um, which I don't think our fedora needs to be exactly that age. I don't oh, think no, that matters, no. but... No, but, but it, it, that means that, like, Dutch should be somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Like, he should look like he's... You're right. He should look like he's in his, like, 60s. Yeah. So let's go with Danny Glover for this one, but we'll see what happens for the next few. So I feel like... So we've got kind of two versions of fedora. We've got the Countess fedora, and we have Young fedora. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the woman who's playing the Countess first, and then we'll kind of talk about the young version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why don't you go first for this one? So for this one, I had uh, I had picked Kate Blanchett for the Countess. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, tell us Just why. Because she, Convince us. Well, because, again, she's very, she's very regal. She, like, she also... Has I wouldn't say she has like a super like uh, movie star quality about her, but there's something so <sighs> she does seem mysterious. Like she every role I've ever seen her in, like I always feel like she's kind of a cipher. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I was thinking that's with reasonable. that. Yeah, and also she looks really good in sunglasses. Yeah, and you know. Countess and Fedora have to look really good in sunglasses. This is true. I mean, I mean, Kate Blanchett looks great. She looks great for someone who's fifty-one. She looks great for someone who's not who's younger than that. Yeah, because the thing though is, like, she is actually a little bit older than I think I thought she was. She's but again, 51. she's someone. Oh, she is fifty-one. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, I think I think I thought she was like in her forties, though. Like, I thought. 
but I don't know. I, no, I I agree with you. Actually. <laughs> like I think she's one of those people who it, you look at her and she's of indeterminate age. She just happens to be very beautiful. Yeah, the thing is that she well, there's like a certain type of beautiful woman that somehow when you say that she looks ageless, I feel like that means that she looks anywhere between like thirty three. And, like, 43. Like, it's just someone who looks like an adult. You know what I mean? Kind of like, um, what's her name? Margot Robbie. When you watch her in um, Wolf of Wall Street, she was, like, 23 when that movie came out. And, like, not to say that she looks old, but she felt older. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yeah, it does. Kind of like Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly looked like she was in her 30s. Until she died, basically. <laughs> yeah, there are just some people who have youthful features, and there are some people whose features make them look older. Right. Not necessarily like in, a, in a way in a... that is good or bad. It just, yeah, I don't necessarily yeah. disagree. Um, so my uh, actress that I have for The Countess is, she's still performing, she's still around. Um, she was in Live and Let Die. She was Dr. Quinn in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> Ooh. Recently, she's in The War with Grandpa. Uh, this actress is named Jane Seymour. Yes, yes. I know Jane Seymour. And See, again, that's another, like, timeless beauty. Yes. Because I was <laughs> looking for someone around this age. But at the same time, still very beautiful, still active and healthy and doing well. And Live and Let, Live and Let Die is a Bond movie, right? I think so, yeah. She she was a Bond girl. And so I was looking for someone who was a Bond girl. And I feel like that kind of Actually, works. wow. No, she looks great. She looks really good. And she is 70 years old. She Holy was born shit. in 1951. <gasps> You're right. Oh my gosh. See, that's a person who did the, the surgery right. Look <laughs> at her. She is gorgeous. You're presuming she had surgery? Um, come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this works. <laughs> You're going to tell me. She, I mean, I would have to know her. I would, if she had only done diet and exercise, I would have her write it in stone and I would follow it like the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying she's gone overboard, but like, she's like, she has maintained herself. Yeah. So, but there you go. Like exactly that idea. Okay. All right, you're two for two here, because I think that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, then who did you have for uh, young Fedora, the, the replacement Fedora? Well, I had originally said Rooney Mara, just because she has that kind of like, uh, she has like a very kind of standoffish quality, you know, like is, I don't want to say standoffish, but she's mysterious. You know what I mean? I feel like I saw her doing that scene with Dutch in her, uh, in her dressing room, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like being like very forcefully being like, so do you think I'm pretty? Not like that, but you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, she'd be good. The, the actress that I have, uh, I saw on the TV show Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, where she plays this character that is overwhelmingly positive to the point where all the other characters are like, we can't deal with her. She's too <laughs> nice and fun and lovely. And that's kind of how the, uh, I'm blanking on the character, the original character, uh, Antonia is, uh, before she becomes Fedora. She's just this genuinely lovely and wonderful human being. And then she 
gets driven to madness. Mm-hmm. And I also picked Caitlin McGee because she, while she's very lovely, I could also see them doing things to her face to make her look like just about anybody. Mm. Let um, me see what she looks like. I don't, I don't know uh, these. This actors. Caitlin spells her name C A I T L I N. And then okay. McGee is M C G E E. Um, but she's also been in like a bunch of other things. Like, uh, she she hasn't quite broken through yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she was on Modern Love. She was in Bluff City Law. She's done NYPD Blue. Apparently, she was on The West Wing at some point. But oh wow, she is thirty three, and which actually might be too old for our fedora, but nonetheless. <laughs> but I I thought she'd right. be a fun choice. Someone who isn't recognizable in her own right, but is still very talented and good. Which that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like her face looks a little familiar, but I don't know that I've seen her in anything. Yeah, that that's why I picked her. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so, I mean, I also picked her because, like, she can kind of fit the mold of Jane Seymour of, like, put some makeup and design on her. You could make her look like young Jane Seymour. Yeah, that's what I was going to say because I feel like with Rooney Mara, they don't, they really don't look alike, you know? Right. But <laughs> d- does Rooney Mara look like Kate Blanchett? I think they have similar features. Yeah, I, in that, I don't disagree. Like, they certainly I think have similar the, cheekbones. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think they both look good in sunglasses. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I, although I do feel like Kate Blanchett might be taller. Uh, although she just seems like a giant. I mean, Kate Blanchett's me. pretty tall. Yeah, I don't know if Rooney Mara is tall. Rooney she seems Mara small is to five, me. Five three. Oh my god. And yeah, Kate Blanchett okay. is five nine. <laughs> right. So, um, which I I understand from your perspective. Both of those heights seem very tall. <laughs> well, too for me, I was like, well, Kate Blanchett's always going to be in the wheelchair, so That's who cares? True, true. Like the, the height doesn't matter to me. Like I don't care if they match height. That's irrelevant. right. If there's anything that doesn't matter in Hollywood, it's someone's actual height. Yeah. <laughs> They've been making Tom Cruise look not 53 for 30 years now. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, like the, it, the height is irrelevant in Hollywood. <laughs> That's a non-issue. Right. And, but I do feel like they're also very like they're very angular. They have very um yeah, I, they like I think yeah. I, I think Rooney Mara as a younger Kate Blanchett is excellent casting. Um, and I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily opposed to making her the young Jane Seymour. I, like, mm-hmm. you, we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. I'm perfectly happy going with either one of these actresses. Uh, I, I'm perfectly happy to leave it up to you. Um, I feel like we should go with, I can, I've already forgotten her name. Kate, um, Caitlin McGee. See, it's working already. Yeah. Her real identity is nothing. She is only Yeah, Fedora. exactly. I'm like, who's that? Who's that one? The one that could play Jane Seymour. So I feel like that's actually, like, the right, you know, the, the right mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, we're going to, like, I've got one, two, three, four, five more, plus writer-director to get through. You're going to get one, I promise. <laughs> uh, t- uh, so you went first for that one. Let me tell you about my Dr. Vando. Oh, yes. So for my Dr. Vando, I went with someone who also isn't, like, you'd kind of recognize his face, but you don't necessarily know him. I just thought he was an interesting actor, and he can play 
He can play evil and also sad simultaneously because uh, he... I know him from, like, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, but he's also in, like, the new Disney Stargirl movie. He was in Sicario. He, this is an actor named Maximiliano Hernandez. Ooh, okay, let me look him up. I, mean, I feel like I've seen him in stuff. Like, I've seen Sicario, so. He is not the lead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you Google him, there's just this, you get, like, the series of five images, and the fifth image is basically just him bald head and then just like Freud beard and I'm like when I saw the picture I'm like yeah that's the guy (laughs) sometimes I have these really deep ideas behind like yeah this is who I need to and theoretically according to the the way that we've constructed this we should probably be going with someone older he's only 47 um Mm -hmm. in in a perfect world we'd be casting someone who's around like has been the doctor for uh, fedora for all these years so i'm realizing now that my choice is probably not the best for this one but yeah, I, I saw that picture he does of him. have a good look yeah. he does have a good look i mean look at that picture of him in the suit with the beard uh, <laughs> like, that's a dr vando but like i said he, he's he may not be the right choice i, I just think he's a, a good actor but who did you have i i always butcher his name and i feel bad but it, it's uh giancarlo esposito oh yeah giancarlo esposito is great yeah so like there's something like there's something very unsettling about him. You know, you watch him in Breaking Bad. You watch him in um, I don't, I'm blanking now, but, but I have I, I haven't actually started watching The Mandalorian. I recommend it. It is 80 percent of it is just great. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, I'll check it out. It's worth your time if you enjoy Star Wars. It's worth your time. I mean, I I don't dislike Star Wars, yeah, so that's good enough. Um, yeah, John uh, Carlo Esposito's great. I actually think he would be. I, I probably think he's a better choice for Doctor Vando than uh, who I have, just because John Carlo Esposito is sixty two years old, so it's kind of perfect. Yeah, like he does seem like he seems like an older kind of creepy doctor that's like been around. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Let's go with him then. All right. But let it be known that Maximiliano Hernandez is a great actor and I will likely pull him for future podcast episodes. Yes. <laughs> I, well, because there's I've done this so many times that like there's people who are just going to keep coming back. Like, no offense to Giancarlo Esposito, but this isn't the first time he's come up in conversation. But Maximiliano oh, sure. Hernandez. Oh, that's a new person. Back pocket right? him so I can use him again. Exactly. Exactly. So that brings us to Miss Balfour who is the secret villain of this whole thing. Yeah. Fucking uh, worst person. Yeah. Who did you have? So I had an actress who has been in Up in the Air. She was in The Departed. She was in Bates Motel. Vera <gasps> Farmiga. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. That's good stuff. Because, <laughs> like... So, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's, she's Vera Farmiga. Like, she's capable of doing anything. But she's like, very good. Yeah. Very good. And she's also very good at being very cold and very like unfeeling. Yes. And you could see like I, I'm I'm justifying after the fact now, but like we have someone who like grew up with Fedora and just like worshipped her and then all of a sudden has this gets this opportunity to work for her and she will do anything for her hero, Fedora. Mm-hmm. And I, whoever we have, I think. Yeah, it would be interesting to see this character, like, maybe from the beginning, where maybe she's just, like, an assistant. And, you know, just is kind of 
you know, kind of the gopher, you know, like getting her Mm -hmm. coffee, like making sure she has like a handkerchief nearby or whatever, you know, like all that, you know, grunt work. Yeah. And then over the years, seeing how she has like wormed her way into this, um, into this household and how, even though now she has like a little bit better standing, like, you know, she's not, you know, she's not doing like bitch work really, but, but also she's still the the hero worship. Yeah. And and Fedora very much recognizes like, Oh, this person is completely devoted to me. I can use them. Yes. Yes. Um, who did you have? I had an actress who's been in a ton of seasons of um, American Horror Story, and she was recently in Miss Ratchet. Yeah, I know who you're going uh, for. I love yeah. this actress. She's great. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson is the best. She's great because she also is like, she can do unhinged, like nobody's business. Like she can seem, she can seem cool and collected and like very unfeeling, but then the next second can just be like kind of bonkers, yeah. you know. I love Sarah Paulson, which I feel like you what? I love Sarah Paulson. She's great. Yeah, she's she's very she's very talented, very good. But yeah, let's yeah. go with her then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love Sarah Paulson. All right. So the three people I have left are the hotel manager, Young Barry, and Michael York. Yes, those are the sa- those are the three that I have. Perfect. Uh, who would you like to talk about now? Why don't we do the hotel owner? Great, take it away. Yeah, so I, you know, he's he's obviously like a little bit of the comic relief. Like he's always kind of like bumbling around, and like he's the one that you know, yeah. He like he there aren't a lot of light moments in this movie, and most of them are with this guy, <laughs> but. I wanted to go with a guy who I wanted him to seem a little bit more warm and like not kind because this that guy in the movie seems a little bit caricature-y. That's obviously not a word, but I'm going with it. (laughs) Like he's, you know, he's a little bit he's just like a buffoon, you know, and I think it would be good to have someone who's like just like genuinely warm and like but like that because, you know, he's always doing those things about the um. He's, like, talking up, like, his business, and it's obviously, like, not great. Like, it's not a great hotel. You know what I mean? So, like, he seems like he might be a little bit, like, shady. So, um, I went with an actor who's been, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He hasn't been in a lot of, like, comedy stuff, I guess. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, classic comedy. He, I know. I mean, it is, there are lots of funny parts. <laughs> Listen, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard seeing Leo, like, tumble down those stairs to his car. <laughs> he he was, he played a, the drug dealer in Wolf of Wall Street, and he was also in The uh, the Punisher. Okay. And he's also, he was in, like, the first two or three seasons of, what's it called? What's that zombie show? Why am I blanking? Walking Dead? Yes, The Walking Dead. John Bernthal. Oh, 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 I do know him. Yeah, yeah, he's come up. He's great. I like. Yeah, him. he's in like, he's in like a lot of, yeah, like he's the kind of person, again, you probably wouldn't know his name, but like you've seen him in things. Yeah. Interesting choice. Uh, where do you see the hotel being? I guess I hadn't really thought of that. I still kind of wanted there to be like an island and I wanted them to be on the coast. 
Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. don't have a good answer to that question either, by the way, but it just occurred to me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Let me tell you about who I had, because I agree that the hotel manager comes into the movie being the most likable character instantly. Yes. <laughs> um, I think the secret most likable character is Antonia, uh, but we'll come back to that. And I thought <laughs> that the most likable character was doing pretty great until he said... As you get older, you like them younger. And then he said, Ooh. except Fedora. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. That's yeah, that was a real, that was a real yikes moment. <laughs> uh, I literally wrote, as you get older, you like them younger. Well, I did like the concierge. <laughs> uh, like, oh, he man. still has his moments where it's like, you know, here we have this culture where you spin these beads and good things happen because you can focus that on your thoughts. And he's like, does that really work? It's like for a buck. Why not? <laughs> and I, I, it's this great moment. So what I ended up doing was I gender swapped the hotel manager. Ooh, that's interesting. And I uh, went with an actress who is <laughs> a, li- a little bit more quirky comedic in that I thought she could be fun, but also competent, which is kind of, mm-hmm. again, I, pu- I pulled two people from Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. And so this actress... Uh, I, I pulled because she is comedic but competent. And mm-hmm. she's also a very good actress. And so I thought it might be fun. She uh, was also in something called Emo the Musical. Uh, she did a voice in Adventure Time. Um, her name is Charlotte Nickdow. Uh, Nickdow is spelled N-I-C-D-A-O. So on uh, Mythic Quest, she plays a character named Poppy, who is programmer for the video game. And mm-hmm. she's very good at her job, but she's like, oh, I'm a nerd. And she's just fun and adorable, but also, again, extremely good at her job. Okay. At her job and, and nothing she, else. Who is she in Adventure Time? I don't remember. But I like the idea. I like the idea of the hotel owner being a woman. I like this. I think that's good. And, and also because I'd like to have one likable woman in this. Yeah, come on. Give us one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she is the see-through princess in Adventure Time Distant Lands, which I think is one of the follow-up miniseries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I think that came out this year where it was like four episodes, like, yeah. like many things. Yeah, so she is the see-through princess or the ancient glass princess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just thought she was a fun idea. Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right, cool. Uh, so that brings us to Young Barry. And I will happily go first for this one because... Yeah. uh, So this is a joke, but I still think it'd be a fun idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if we have Danny Glover playing our Barry Detweiler, how funny would it be if to get someone in to play the young version of him, we had Donald Glover? Someone who is not related to him at all, but everyone (laughs) thinks is. (laughs) That's fun. That's fun. And I just thought it was amazing. That's (laughs) stupid and dumb, but I stand by it. Yeah. And Donald Glover comes up on the show fairly often because he's he's great. He's an excellent performer. He's a great writer. He does all these things. Um, And I just thought it would be a good throwaway joke for anyone who's paying attention. It's like, oh, Donald Glover is playing young Danny Glover. Right, right. So... Dumb joke. I'm perfectly happy to not have that be our joke. Well, because when we went with Danny Glover, I was looking through 
on IMDb just to like see if I had thought of anybody. And I did think I I initially kind of thought of uh, Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, that works too. Lakeith Stanfield's great. He's so good. He's so like, yeah. I mean, they're both really great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I unfortunately think that you're in a tough position of like, well, we went with Danny Glover, who I don't know if people know this is black. And uh, your option for Barry had not been black. So whoever is <laughs> on your piece of paper is not really going to work. No, I know. I know. That's why so, I like, I was you, like, I deep dived real quick. Yeah, you did I'm great. Because I'm not going to tell like, you. Wait, 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 uh, wait, uh, wait, wait, roll with the punches. Like you did excellent work. <laughs> no, listen, listen. The second we went with that, I was on IMDb looking at like looking up young actors. <laughs> oh, because, man, I complain yes. about it all the time, but like, I feel like. I, I've got to be on some sort of list because of the craziness of, like, my Google searches of, like, looking up young actors of right. this particular ethnicity. Tell right. me who they are. <laughs> uh, but Keith Stanfield's a great pick. Yeah. And I feel like we kind of got to honor the fact that you went and did this digging really quick. Like, I'm perfectly happy to go with Keith Stanfield. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it, we could do that. I will just say, just so that it's on the record, from when I said I wanted it to be Leo, my young Barry was Nicholas Holt. But obviously I struck that. <laughs> I mean, that does work. That That's very funny. <laughs> I actually want to look something up real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, But yeah, okay, so why don't we go with Lakeith? He just has such a, like... Uh, he always just seems like he's, like, thinking all the time, like, real deep thoughts. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Holt is 31, which makes him 10 years younger than Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so nuts. <laughs> uh, wait, wait a minute. Leo? Isn't Leo Oh, no, he's 46. 48? I'm sorry. 15 years oh. younger. Okay. I was like, wait a second. That seems young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're, you're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Still, though, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield's one of those people who's surprisingly young. Yeah, I think he's, like, in his mid-20s, I think. Still. Or, I don't know. That is but, correct. yeah. I mean, he's 29, but considering oh. that Danny Glover's in his 70s, like, you think Lakeith Stanfield is older than he is. He's one of those mm -hmm. other people who has an older... He certainly carries himself as if he is not in his 20s. Right. So... For the Michael York character, I think we just pick a, a well-known male actor celebrity who we like and we think would be funny in this role. Right. So why don't you go first? Because I, like, went through this whole thing because, um, yeah, anyway, you go first. <laughs> I mean, I just went with someone who comes up all the time and everyone really likes and uh, is not currently married, but... It is kind of like the young, attractive guy in Hollywood, and I thought he'd be fun. So I went with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. But And he's so he's so charismatic. He is. And just like the idea of Michael B. Jordan showing up and laying a single rose uh, on Just uh devastating. <laughs> devastating. Um but, uh, I went but you gave with, me some real thought. Yeah. Tell me who you had. Yeah. I went with uh Daniel Kalu Kaluuya. Oh, okay. Tell me why. So the thing is, like, I was going into this whole thing because I was like, why did they just go with, why, why did they do Michael York? What is this? And I was like looking through his IMDb and I guess I didn't realize that Logan's run was so popular. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, I was looking through like, because, you know, he did like a lot of Shakespeare, 
like at the beginning, like in his early movies. And I was like, so is it like because he's like a classic actor? Is it that? Is that it? Like, is he? Is it? Is that the whole thing? I think it's so. Just that's kind of where was... at the time people thought he was really attractive. Yeah, and like he is. I definitely, I definitely see it more. Just more in this than like when, because for the longest time I'd only I think ever seen him in like Romeo and Juliet and um, Taming of the Shrew. And, like, he looks very, like, he's, like, very lanky and, like, weird-looking. <laughs> so I was just, He like, is a tall man. Yeah. So, like, before like before he had the coordination for it, like, he just, like, looked awkward as hell. <laughs> um, but that's kind of... So I was thinking Daniel Kaluuya, because he's, like, known for being such a great actor. Is like, he has done the classic work, has done... A lot of blockbusters as well and like he's pretty popular yeah i think that's a great idea i i'm absolutely happy to go with daniel kalia mm-hmm. i think that's awesome good choice cool all right yeah so that brings us to writer and director so i have a separate writer and director do you have separate or do you have a writer director um i had a director i realized that he i i, I don't think i put a writer okay well then let me tell you about my writer and then we can talk about director yeah so my writer, I, I picked someone who can do interesting thrillers. Uh, she wrote, I, it was also important to me that because this is a movie about Fedora, that it is both written and directed by women. I love that. I love that. Yes. So she did a, did something called Nerve. She also is the writer behind A Simple Favor, and she also has been a writer on American Horror Story. A Simple Favor? That's the... Anna Kendrick, um, Blake Lively movie. Oh. Oh, I thought Paul Feig wrote that. I think Paul Feig directed it. Right. Because oh, it that's interesting. Written by Jessica Scharzer. A Simple Favor is based on the novel by Darcy Bell, but the screenplay is by Jessica Scharzer. I see. Okay. That's interesting. Cool, cool. So she can do adaptations, since this is an adaptation, and by all accounts, A Simple Favor is very good. Yeah, A Simple Favor is good. And it's like... Yeah, we we did that one on the podcast. Oh, did so. you? Yeah. Nice. Because <laughs> that, that one has, like, a lot of the thriller elements, and it's, like, Anna Kendrick, like, trying to be Nancy Drew and Blake Lively in tuxedos. So it's it's very fun. Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that it, it felt like it had all the kind of the components and things that you would want uh, right. in, in a fedora movie. and. And so that's why I wanted to pull Jessica Scharzer for this. I like that. I like that. Cool. So then tell me about who you had as your director. Well, I was thinking about, I felt the same way about how I thought it should be. I I thought, I I felt like either this should be directed by a woman or written by a woman. I don't know why I didn't think they could do both. (laughs) But I was thinking she did Bright Star and she did this one thriller that not a lot of people like, but I really love this movie. It's called In the Cut, and it's with uh, Meg Ryan and uh, Mark Ruffalo, and the director is Jane Campion. And I felt like that was a thriller that, like, really, you saw things through the female gaze, which you don't, in a lot of these thrillers, the women are just, you know, they're the victims, or they're the, um, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of the... Uh, what would you call that? Like the um, they're, they're the they're there to 
be killed or be shocked. They're not there to motivate the plot. Right, right. And in this, in this, it's very much, and the thing is, like, this movie flopped, and I think, like, kind of messed up Meg Ryan's career for a little while, because it was, like, nothing she'd ever done before. Fair. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't French Kiss or, um, you know, You've Got Mail, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right. But yeah, so, and she's very good at atmosphere. She's good at, like, making things seem kind of dreamlike. I don't know if she writes her movies. Let me see. It, it, she, she was credited as a writer on In the Cut. Okay, okay. So maybe she... So then if that's that the case... Said, that, it's Hollywood. That doesn't necessarily mean she wrote it. That just means that... She, she got credit for it, yeah. right? Because <laughs> the writers on In the Cut are... This, uh, the, the novel was written by Susanna Moore and then adapted into a screenplay by Susanna Moore. Jane Campion is also credited on the screenplay. And then there is an additional writer in Stavros Kazantzidis. Oh, wow. But I don't know what that means. But it does look like she does get writing credit for a lot of her work. Like she, she's the one who made, who uh, wrote and directed the piano. She, oh, she wrote and directed Bright Star, which was the um, kind of like a fictionalized account about John Keats, and that movie is beautiful. You should watch it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so romantic, and I'm not even like that's not my thing, but like it's so sweeping and beautiful. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that's a fun. Okay, idea. well then I think then I think then I would have her as my writer and director. Got it. My my director is fairly new on the scene. Uh, mm-hmm. She I, I pulled her because she was the director, the producer, the writer of a movie called Alice, which is about a mother who. Oh, was that the one with Julianne Moore? No, that's still Alice. Oh. <laughs> the, this is a movie, the, the premise of this movie is that it's a, a mom who kind of like loses her job, loses everything, and has to turn to sex work in order to make ends meet, and kind of how that kind of makes things worse for her. Okay. I need to be pro, just give me the information I want. Oh, okay. When her <laughs> husband steals her money and abandons her and her son... Alice finds herself broke, desperate, and on the verge of losing her house. With time running out, she realizes that the only way to make good money fast is to become a prostitute. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it, it it did very well in like festival circuits and stuff, and so it's that's the movie that Josephine uh, Macaris uh, Ma- wrote, and so she was on this list of like up and coming female directors, and I was like, yeah, why not? Cool. So I thought she'd be fun. I don't mind going with Jane Campion as our director, but I do want to stick with Jessica Scharzer as our writer. Yeah, I like that. I like that because she, like you said, she is, I was looking at her IMDb and she's done multiple adaptations. So she she was the one who did speak, which I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Fun. Um. So yeah, so. Unless you have anything else that you wanted to cast or talk about for this movie, we've got our list. Yeah, I think this is it. All right, cool. let me take you through our fedora. Barry, Dutch Detweiler, is going to be played by Danny Glover. Fedora, the younger one, will be played by Caitlin McGee. And the Countess, a.k.a. the real Fedora, will be played by Jane Seymour. Dr. Vando will be Giancarlo Esposito. 
with Miss Balfour, played by Sarah Paulson. Our hotel manager will be Charlotte McDow, and young Barry will be Lakeith Stanfield. Our Michael York will be Daniel Kaluuya. All of this will be written by Jessica Scharzer and directed by Jane Campion. That is Fedora. We did it. It will sweep the Oscars. Yes, it will. (laughs) So, Jenna, now's the time for plugs. Tell everyone about things you're doing. Dive deep into Sweet Sweet Garbage and anything else that you want to talk about now. Yeah, so right now, um, yeah, I have the podcast with my partner, Bailey. We, yeah, we get together every week and talk about just trashy movies, trashy movies that we love. And we really just deep dive into them. We, I mean, I will... I will dissect a Lifetime movie just as much as I will dissect this uh, Billy Wilder (laughs) (laughs) movie. So I get in there and I... (laughs) I mean, they're very similar in, like, execution in terms of podcasts. Like, the subject matter is sometimes different. But, like, if you enjoy listening to Ideal Remake, you would probably enjoy listening to Sweet Sweet Garbage as well. Yeah, because it really is... I mean, the thing is, I think... It all comes from a place of just, like, we really love the movies. Sometimes, you know, we get a dud, and then that's a little bit hard. But for the most part, they're movies that we end up enjoying even when they're super silly or, like, really ridiculous. And that's why it's called Sweet Sweet Garbage, because we know it's bad for us, but it's super (laughs) sweet. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Do you have any social medias or anything you'd like to plug or anything else? Yeah. So my I, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I have hold on one second. My Instagram handle is uncutgens uh, underscore love. And the Twitter is hold on. I I should know these things. My <laughs> Twitter handle is uh, at Gen Gen Love. And it's G-E-N-G-E-N. So, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. I would come on as often as you would let me. (laughs) Yeah, of course. You are welcome back anytime. This was super fun, and thank you for making me watch a movie that I otherwise would never have heard of. (laughs) And I love that, so thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, If you're interested in following me on social medias, I am on Twitter at SamGash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast. It's on Twitter at Ideal Remake or on Instagram at Ideal Remake. Or join us on Facebook at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. And yeah, it's Ideal Remake Season 4. We're back. Woo! Woo! Um, Yay! So yeah, I think that does it. So I will end with this. Jenna, what was your favorite quote from the movie Fedora? Oh, man. I didn't write any of the quotes down. Neither did I, and it's impossible to look up, so good luck. (laughs) That's why when I was looking, that's why when I was writing the intro for this, I just had to find a random Billy Wilder (laughs) quote, because I didn't have one from the movie. Well, I will say, like, I do think, like, the, the, the line that sticks with me the most, and I know I'm paraphrasing this, but it is when he is talking to the Countess, and it's, like, right before she, right before he realizes who she is. And then he, she says, she's like, oh, don't, don't you remember me, Dutch? Like, something like that. Yeah. And then there's that, like, moment where he's like, oh, fuck. And, like, I felt like I had been stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> I had all these feels. I mean, that 
that brief 30 second interaction is the best part of this. That and then when Michael York lays the rose down are the two best yes, parts of this movie. Like such such great moments. <laughs> uh yeah. So what what about you? What was your favorite? I mean, I'm not likely to pick something that's as heartfelt and sincere as that. <laughs> uh are we going to stick to your uh, the the line from the hotel owner about oh. the young girls? <laughs> I mean, that is a legitimate line from this movie, and it is the one that I wrote down. But, oh, <laughs> God, it's certainly not my favorite line from this movie. <laughs> uh, did I write any other lines down? Please say I wrote other lines down. <laughs> no, no, my phone's not working. Everything's terrible. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, oh, See if they have a table for two. I'm so excited to have dinner with my mother. Oh no, you're going with the help. I have to go have dinner with a friend of mine who's only barely ever in town. So rarely. But I only get to see you once a year. Have fun, dear. Uh, Mother-daughter relationships. So fraught. So fraught. (laughs) Oh man, there's got to be other good Countess lines because she says some great things. Mm -hmm. Like just some really good iconic lines that just... I don't know. I don't remember. Look them up. <laughs> you, hey, listener, you're, 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 you've listened to this whole podcast. Go look them up. That's my favorite. Now you know. Honestly, go find the movie and watch it. Seriously, Again, do I it. very much recommend it. It's a good, t- a good time will be had by all. Yes, fully agree. <laughs> all right, Jenna, we did it. Woo! Yay!